Would you pray with me before I begin? Lord, the book of Daniel and this part right here that we just had read to us is difficult and is hard to understand and even more than that, to hit our hearts and to sink in deep so that we might hear what it is that you have to hear, what you have to say to us, what you want us to hear today. And so I pray that the words that I speak, that the things that I have to say would be submitted to your word and your wisdom. Lord, we need to hear from you. So much going on. Each and every heart here brings something that is heavy, places of hardness. Would you break through with your life-giving word and speak life to our souls as we listen to it together this morning in Christ's name, amen. All right, we have been looking at the book of Daniel together for I think it's been about eight weeks, maybe nine weeks, and it has been, um, surprisingly for me, I felt compelled and drawn into this book, knowing that it would already be somewhat of a contentious and difficult season. A year ago, I said, maybe Daniel might be a book that we should look at. Although, for myself, I was always a bit intimidated and scared of the book of Daniel because of passages like this that end up with Daniel himself saying, this was very disturbing. When I heard and saw this strange vision, I felt sick for days. And so I said, well, maybe, maybe that's not what we need. But I felt compelled and drawn in into this book. And this passage, although it's one of those passages that was strange to me and intimidating, I think it has some very important things for us as we live through such challenging. Remember, Daniel was written during the exile of Israel. This was a very dark and a very difficult time, maybe the most dark and the most difficult for the Jewish people. Way back in the 6th century BC, they'd been taken from their land and their homes. They had been uh, deported to a place that did not share the beliefs, did not share their way of life. They lost life as normal. It was gone. On top of that, when the Babylonians took them and came into Jerusalem and took over their land, they just, it, the Babylonians destroyed the temple, the very central place of worship, their normal way of worshiping and connecting with God was gone. As we can imagine, for those who wanted to hold on to faith, this led to many places of doubt and struggle with God. And we've been looking at how the book of Daniel addresses these doubts, these struggles. But maybe the hardest part of all as I was thinking about it this week, was not necessarily the suffering of the present moment as people were living through these times. But maybe the hardest part was the uncertainty of the future. They didn't know how long it would last. They didn't know if they'd ever get home, if life would ever go back to normal. The future was full of uncertainty. And this, in this background, that's where Daniel's visions all come in. That's what they speak into. For us, it's been about 10 months in a pandemic. Looks like there's a resurgence happening now in our country. We are just a few weeks past from a very contentious election that revealed, again, sharp divisions in our country, maybe even in our own relationships and families. And with uncertainty still in the air, 10 months with life as normal gone, with all the ways that we have worshiped and connected with God gone. 
the changes of, of the present, the difficulties of the present are hard. But I don't know about you. For me, I think what's weighing heavily on my own heart is the uncertainty of the future. We've made it 10 months. How much longer will we go? What lies out ahead in the future for all of these things? And one of the main ways we get through hard times in life is by looking ahead to the future, right? If we're going through a hard time in school, we're like, when is the exam? When is the break? If we're passing through a hard season, maybe at work, we're like, well, at least there's a deadline out there. It will be done. Or we look ahead to a vacation. Or we say, I know at some point this is going to end. One um, illustration for this, uh, if you run for exercise and not for fun, we have some runners in our home and they run for fun and very far. But for me, I just run because it's just exercise and fast. And I have this app that I use to tell me when I'm done running. And when I'm running, every like half a mile, this voice comes and says, keep going. There's an ice cream shop up ahead. Okay, let me keep going. This is going to end. Ice cream will come. And now, though, in the race that we're running, the future is so foggy, it's so uncertain, we struggle to keep running. A lot of us, I think, are struggling to keep going. I felt that myself. As I've said many times in our study in the book of Daniel, the main point of the book of Daniel is this. Even when it doesn't seem like it, God is in control. Another way to describe this theme, especially the second half of the book, is it is possible to live with hope. It is possible to live with purpose even when the future is uncertain. How? Well, Daniel tells us how in the second part of the book. It's filled with these crazy and weird and strange visions. They're apocalyptic visions. And this one here, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up at home. Uh, get your apps out. Get your Bible up. This vision, we're going to talk about it, is about a ram and a goat battling it out. So if it was a YouTube video, and we've been on YouTube a lot. We've probably seen these videos. It would probably be entitled, A Ram versus Unigoat, Fighting to the Death. And I would click that. I would definitely click that. Those videos where it's like, I know it's a little bit uh, disturbing, but to see animals fighting to the death, I can't help it. But this one is about something like that. What is going on with that? Well, apocalyptic vision. As we said last week, you can see my comments from last week. Talked about this a little bit more, but apocalyptic doesn't mean predicting the future. Apocalyptic means a revealing, an unveiling of reality from the perspective of heaven. These visions were not given to uh, give us timelines to predict the future, but to give us a new way of seeing the present and the future in light of God's control over history, in light of his plan. Okay, so this strange vision of a ram and a goat, and there's a little horn, is going to tell us how it's possible to live with hope and purpose, even when the future is uncertain. And you're wondering, okay, <laughs> can it really? Well, let me show you how. We're going to look at three questions that naturally arise in uncertain times. Maybe you're asking these questions right now. These questions arise in this passage, and this passage, this vision answers those. Now I'm going to give you the warning up front. The answers given are ones we will not like at first but they are what we need. I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front that it speaks to three things that anyone facing an unfuture must deal with. What will happen? How long will it be? And will God triumph, prevail? And how can I persevere? I know those are four questions. The final ones are a pair. These three things happen to be connected to 
what might be our most powerful and deep idols in American culture and American Christianity. Planning, pace, and power. Let's look at it. But first we need to look at this vision. What is going on here? So if you have your Bible, open it up. Let's, let's see what's happening here. Daniel 8, okay? It begins here in verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me earlier. So this is in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Uh, this was at the very end of the Babylonian kingdom, right around the time in chapter 5 when the writing appeared on the wall, which indicated that Babylon was about to meet its end. So this was the cusp of the very end of the Babylonian kingdom, and the question is, what's next? What's after Babylon? Things were very uncertain. And so here comes this vision. I saw the vision, verse 2. As I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa, in the province of Elam. I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up. Here it is. There was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, the one larger than the other, and the longer one came up last. I saw the ram charge west, the north, the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did what he wanted, and he became very great. So here this vision takes Daniel out of Babylon. He's actually, in a visionary way, in the capital city of Persia, Susa. And what does he see? He sees a ram. Verse 20 tells us later on this represents the kings of Medes, Media, and Persia. This was the empire that overtook Babylon. Once they took them out, they became a vast, powerful empire. And that Daniel sees that in a symbolic vision. What happens next? Well... I'm glad you asked, because it tells us. I was observing, and then a male goat appeared, coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. So it's a flying unigoat. He had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the two-horn ram. I had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram and infuriated with him. He struck him, breaking his two horns. The ram was not strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. The male goat acted even more arrogantly, but when he became powerful, the large horn was broken. Four horns came in its place. Okay, so a flying one-horned unigoat, it comes and it battles the ram and it wins. Verse 21 later tells us this represents Greece. This is the Greek Empire. History tells us a lot about Alexander the Great, one of the most powerful emperors of all time. Before he died, he divided his kingdom into four. And Daniel sees this happening before it took place. Then, verses 9 through 12, we read about the little horn, who was the worst of them all. Let's look at that. From one of these horns, a little horn emerged. It grew extensively toward the south, east, toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth and trampled them. It acted arrogantly, even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice, overthrew the place of his sanctuary, and the rebellion, the army was given up. Together with the regular sacrifice, the horn threw truth to the ground, successful in what it did. This little horn was the worst of all, most arrogant, most directly opposed to God and his people, throws truth to the ground, ends 
and overthrows worship and sacrifice. It was successful. The little horn is identified with a ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes from the second century who ruled over the area where Jerusalem was after many Jews had returned, after the temple was rebuilt. He rose to power and directly oppressed the Jewish people and even the worship of Zeus into the actual sanctuary itself. So there's the vision. The Bible's not boring. It's a little bit strange. This is some crazy stuff happening. What in the world does that all have to do with us? How can it help us with our uncertain future? Well, let's talk about that. First, it brings up and it answers the question, what will happen? A very natural question to ask when you're in a Will the bad things go away? When will good things come again? When will it get better? This is the first question that the vision addresses. What will happen? The answer that it gives to us is it's not for us to know. And I told you you wouldn't like that. But hold on, you say. Didn't this vision tell Daniel what would happen? Isn't that the point? On the one hand, yes, it's very specific. The visions of Daniel are some of the most specific prophecies in all the Bible. It names the Medes and Persians. It names the Greeks, Antiochus Epiphanes. They fit so perfectly into the events of history that many people have trouble believing that this could have been written before the fact. But the scriptures tell us it was. But on the other hand, although all these things were specific, there was a vision of the future, on the other hand, the answer is, not really. This didn't really tell Daniel what would happen. Here and in all the visions he sees, what is Daniel's response? Well, he says, I was terrified, filled me with anguish. I was overcome and disturbed. And at the very end of the book of Daniel, he says, after I heard all this stuff, I didn't understand it. Even with the interpretation given, Daniel, who was the master of interpreting dreams and visions, says, I don't get it. So what is the purpose of the vision, we say? Is it to predict? Well, how would that help, just to predict the events of the future? In reality, the purpose of the vision is to prepare. Because the visions give us a vision not so much of what will be there. What are the events that will happen? Not so much that, but they tell us who will be there. God himself. When these things happen, God is saying, I am there. This vision and others like it are not about God telling Daniel and us, I want to show you what will happen so you can know the future. It's about God telling us, I want to show you that I know the things that will happen. And no matter what happens, I hold the future. This vision is possible because God knows. God rules over all things to come. And even though we say, I don't know if that helps, that is the most important thing for us to know about the future. Now, Daniel and the readers of this book were thinking, man, we can't wait till the Babylonians are out of power. Then maybe things will get better. Or maybe when the Persians are out of power, or maybe when the Greeks or the next ruler or the next, then life will get back to normal. It'll be all good. After this challenge and difficulty ends, this vision says there's going to be another one. And then there's going to be another one. 
In fact, something worse will come after them all. And if you're tracking with me, you'll say, that's not very encouraging. (laughs) What is that? Well, the scriptures do not give us a placebo in dealing with questions of the future. They do not give us a naive view of the future to say everything's going to be okay. Every dark cloud has a silver lining kind of approach. Placebos only trick us into feeling better, but they are not filled with actual truth. Scripture gives us a realistic view. When the challenges of the present are over, there will be challenges in the future, some worse and harder than the present. And that's the message. And so Daniel says, we understand why he says, I was overcome and sick for days. He was depressed, and we get it. Knowing the future will be hard can be very depressing. That's a normal reaction after already living through such hard times. But the message is this. Please hear this. If it's hard to track what I'm saying, please listen to this. The question that it forces us to ask is, am I trusting God to make his plans happen? Or am I trusting God to make my plans happen for the future? The latter only leads to disappointment. From the book of Proverbs, it says it like this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's the message of this vision. We've been living in a what will happen state of mind, all of us, for so long at many levels, 10 months. And many times it feels like all we can do is plan for the next week, maybe the next day in our family lives, work lives, and so forth. And sometimes it gets hard. (laughs) We wonder, what's Thanksgiving going to look like? How are we going to follow the guidelines? What will Christmas be like? What will 2021 be like? What's going to happen at work? Will we ever have a real vacation again? Will Disneyland ever open? We don't know. With school and sports and activities and with the church. There are many people during these last 10 months who need special care and attention. One of these groups are the planners out there. If you are one of those planners, you know, you could just kind of raise your hand and go, that, that's me, who live by your calendars, live by your plans. Just a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast that said, uh, which churches, it was a survey, which churches know what they're doing for Christmas? And like 80% didn't have a plan. And the person was saying, that's unheard of, it's November. How can you not know what's happening for Christmas? Friends, In John chapter 13, verse 7, Jesus says these words to Peter. They're never more important than now. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. The providence of God cannot be read forward by us in our limited perspective and wisdom. But as the famous Puritan John Flavel said, the providence of God can only be read backwards. What we can't understand when we can't read now in the future, we trust. That's the first question. Second question that comes up when we're dealing with an uncertain future that many of you have been asking is how long? When we're living in difficult times, in the middle of hard trials, what helps us make it through is knowing how long it will last, right? The answer given here is not forever. 
Now, we might like this answer a little bit more than the first one. What will happen? It's not for us to know. But there's a follow-up question. We say, it's not for us to know, but how long really? That's where the answer is more difficult for us because God's pace is so different than ours. One thing I've started doing, sorry for all the exercise illustrations, but we've been trying to figure out how to exercise with gym's clothes. And I've been doing some of these videos, high intensity, it sounds intense, but they're just videos where you're jumping and doing push-ups and all that. Um, the best videos like this have a little timer in the corner. And the reason you need that timer, you don't really look at it at the first few like reps, first 20 seconds, you're just doing your push-ups or jumping jacks. But after it starts to burn, you're like, I need <laughs> I'm looking at that timer like, how much longer does it have to go? We need that timer when it starts to bring pain and hurt. When things hurt, we want to know how long. Now back in verse 13 of chapter 8, it's a very important part of this vision. It says, then I heard a holy one speaking. Daniel's in this vision. He sees heaven speaking. And it says, a holy one said to another holy one, in response to the little horn, how long? How long will the events of this vision last? And this is very encouraging because it tells us it is right for us to cry out and pray how long. It's not only allowed, it's encouraged. It's modeled. It's not only encouraged to pray this prayer to God. It is echoed as a prayer in heaven itself. Heaven shares this cry with earth. As one author said, heaven enters sympathetically into the anguish and the duress of God's earthly people. Friends, there's something in the heart of God while holding his good and perfect plans for this world, his sovereign plan that also with us can cry out how long with us. That's what this passage is telling us. He longs to rid the world. He longs to rid our lives of sin and suffering and pain. And when we cry out how long in raw honesty before the Lord, that is how our heart connects with that part of God's heart. This prayer is prayed many times in the book of Psalms, Psalm 6-3. I want you to listen to these prayers. Can you identify with these? Does this describe your prayer life? My whole being is shaken. How long, O Lord? Psalm 6-3. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Psalm 13. Psalm 89-46. How long, O Lord, will you hide forever? How long will the wicked celebrate? Psalm 94-3. And then in Habakkuk 1-2, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry? How long will I cry out to you about violence and you do not save? That is a description of the life of a faithful person praying in seasons when it's so hard and the future is so uncertain. There is an answer here in Daniel 8, to that cry, how long? To the cry of heaven. It's a bit cryptic. It says this, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored in the vision. So scholars debate, what is going on with this? Is this 2,300 days, about six years? Is it a half of that evening, morning? There's some connection to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes that we talked about. But there's a greater point here. The greater point is this. It is numbered in days. It is not forever. Hard days for us can feel long and very hard and very painful. 
but they are limited. There is a set time. Evil has a limit. Sin has a limit. An expiration and an end date. There is a timer on evil and on sin and on brokenness in our lives and in the world. God says not forever. Last set of questions. The questions we ask when the future is uncertain, what will happen? Daniel says, it's not for us to know, but God knows. How long? Not forever. But God's pace is different than ours. It leads to a third question, really a set of questions. I want to bring them together. How will God prevail and how will we persevere? I group them together because the answer to the questions is the same answer in this passage. Look again with me at verses 23 through 27. Those were the ones that Lisa read. There we see, after all these strange visions, the ram and the goat and the little horn, this is where it gets worse. This is the worst of the future. Most of this vision is really bad news. It says a, a great king will arise. He'll be ruthless, great power, outrageous destruction. Looks like he succeeds in whatever he does. He will even trample truth to the ground and stand against God himself. So in this vision, what God is showing to Daniel is a vision of the worst of the future. And most of it, we say that is really bad news. It goes from bad to worse for Daniel and later for God's people. Babylon was bad enough. Then Persia would come, then Greece, and then out of Greece, this little horn. And what is the point of all this? Well, the point must be to prepare us for the worst that might come in the future. The worst that the future can bring. And in the middle of the worst that the future can bring, there's just one little line, one little sentence that is good news, that if we get it, we can face anything that the future brings. Would you look at verse 25? That's where it's found. It says, this little horn is going to stand against the prince of princes himself. That is God. And it says there, yet he will be broken, but not with human hands. He will be broken. All human attempts to stand against God, replace God, disregard God will be broken. This applies to the blatant attempts like the little horn and more subtle attempts. They're not just stopped, they are broken. How? Not by human hands. In Hebrew, the phrase means not without the hand of man. God will prevail without human effort, without human power, without human help. This is the second time the phrase is used back in in Daniel chapter 2 with the visions of the great kingdoms coming to an end and God's kingdom being established. It says it all comes by a little stone not cut by human hand. So when the future is uncertain and we wonder what is God doing? How will he prevail? How can I persevere? The answer given is not by human hand. And if we get what this is saying, this is probably the hardest part of all, but yet the most hopeful of anything in this vision. And Daniel got it, which I think is why he was so broken in verse 27, where he says, I was overcome. I was laying sick for days to live with this hope, to live with purpose for an uncertain future. The hard truth is we must also be broken like this because what this passage is saying, it gets right to the heart and the core of what is probably our most precious 
our most beloved idol, our human pride, our self-salvation efforts, that there's something I can do, that there's something I must be able to do to guarantee the future that I want, to get God to give me the future that I want. And this passage breaks us and says, not by human hands. There are many places in Scripture that bring this message home just by these little phrases, not by, not according. We might say, my Christian friends, I understand the message of the gospel is by grace. It's by gift. It's by what God does, not what I do. But many places in Scripture, it drives the message home like this passage by saying, grace, but not by. Grace, but not by. Let me share a few. Romans 11. Six, if it is by grace, it's not by works, or else grace would cease to be grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we read this already. By grace you have been saved, not by works. 2 Timothy 1, 9, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, but not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace given to us before time began. All those not bys break us of pride, self-reliance, and all forms of self salvation. It breaks us, but it can set us free. This is the doctrine of grace applied to the future. Let me explain. You can't control the future, grace says. You can't control it with your works of your hands. No matter how good or smart or planned out you are, trials will still come. But also, you don't have to fear the future because of the works of your hands, no matter how bad you are no matter how bad of a planner you are, no matter how far you feel you fall short. There is not punishment in the future. There is no dread for those who trust in Jesus. Here's the gospel. There is only grace. And nothing you can do can change that. Apply that to the future. Everything that stands in the way of Jesus' plan for the world and for you will come to pass by grace alone. There is nothing you can do for him to love you more. That's what grace means. There is nothing you can do that can cause him to love you less. That's what grace means. So we don't earn or work for the future we want from God. We are given the future God wants for us as a gift. To be broken by grace like this It's to be unbreakable in life no matter what the future brings. One more passage, and we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 is one of my favorite passages in all of my life, but one of the hardest passages to actually live. It says this. Paul, the apostle, says, We have this treasure, grace, the message of the gospel in jars of clay, in frail and bitter containers that we are, so that... This extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Friends, those are the questions of an uncertain future. What will happen? God knows. He is there in the future, even when we don't know. How long will it be? God says it will not be forever. His kingdom of grace will come. 
How will God prevail? How will we persevere? Not by human hands. Let that message sink in, set you free. That nothing can prevent the future God has for you coming. It is a gift for all those who trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, looking at this strange vision, trying to learn what it has to say to us, we feel a little bit like Daniel, a little confused, wondering where to place our hope. And I pray that through your word that you would set us free. We might need to be broken. God, and I pray for those whom you're breaking of our human planning, of the pace that we think you should work at, the pace that we think things should proceed at. And most of all, that you would break us of thinking that it is up to us and our power and that we would live in the freedom and the confidence and the boldness of your grace, whatever might come, knowing that whatever lies ahead, there is grace enough. Help us walk in that grace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.